any action that we're doing that is benefiting us in some way that we're doing on a regular basis, whether we create energy to do that or not, is maybe discipline then. You might sometimes need discipline with willpower. So if you've never, using a running example, a lot of people do couch to 5K, right? Whatever, whatever they want to do and have never ran before. They know the benefits are out there, but actually they really don't want to do it. So they have to have huge amounts of willpower because they know the reward will come later. So it's the temp- they have to resist temptation to get mm. there. That's what willpower is for me. The temptation would be to stay sat on the sofa and not go and do it. But actually, you need willpower to get off because you know the reward will come. But you've got to put the work in. Now, of course, you've got to be disciplined with that work or the results will never come. Yeah. One one won't make the change. You've got to do it daily, weekly, whatever. Welcome to the Mindful Paths podcast with Nick Day and Harry Kalimnios, where we explore the fascinating worlds of mindset, mindfulness, fitness, well-being, vitality, leadership and personal development. Our goal is to provide you with the insights to help you live a more fulfilling, happier and healthier life. If you're striving to be a better parent, friend, leader, colleague or boss, or if you simply want to be more mindful and aware of the world around you, then this Mindful Past podcast is for you. We invite you all to eavesdrop on our conversations and we challenge you to discover a new insight to help you on your own journey towards personal growth and positive change. So sit back, relax, and let's begin our journey together on the Mindful Paths podcast. Welcome back to uh, the UK, Nick. I saw that you were gallivanting around uh, in America last week. I have, mate. To be honest, um, I've just finished a book called Energised by Simon Ong on the plane back from Denver. Really good. Although slightly ironic because I'm severely jet lagged, struggling with my sleep. People don't know me anyway. I struggle with insomnia for, oh, must be over probably over 20 years. So, mm-hmm. you know, on, on medication for it, as much as I've tried all the different tools and techniques, I don't have to take it daily, which is good. Coming back has been a real battle in getting my sleep back in. So, I've got a big bag. If anyone's watching on video, I've got big bags under my eyes and I'm trying to get back into a, an ordinary sleep routine. So, I want to come bring in the energy today. And I think I will. I'm trying to dive into all the different pots that Simon Ong talks about in his book Energize and the things we've talked about on the show uh, but you know, probably a little bit lower on the energy than I would like to be at the moment well that you know what that's okay I mean what, what was the time difference between where you were it was uh, Denver somewhere wasn't it Colorado yes yeah, so I think that uh, was seven, seven hours yeah so seven hours approximately it's going to take seven days like I always yeah. people it's it's an hour it's a, it's a day per hour effectively well I didn't I didn't sleep on the plane on the way back which most people do it was a night flight so we left at 12. We arrived effectively at 12, there or thereabouts, mm-hmm. and I didn't sleep on the plane. So you then have to, you're up, you're up for 24 hours, and you've got to wait another yeah. 10 hours till it's bedtime. So you're sort of 34, 36 hours without sleep. Then you go to bed, and you kind of, you, you all, I didn't really sleep well the first night, it was like three or four hours. So it's the best part of, I don't know, 52 hours, and I've had about three hours sleep. So it, yeah, it, it, it takes, I can deal with like lack of sleep better than most because of, as an insomniac, I'm quite used to being, underslept um compared to others but i think it's a little bit more than usual so mm-hmm. yeah, you feel a little bit so if you're staring at computer screen all day doing zoom interviews at the end of it you're just a bit like warped out so yeah I mean, my uh, my recommendation with jet lag is, is tough firstly from going from west to east so flying east which is what you're doing is always hard like flying the other way is easy uh, flying flying back is always hard but like i'm sure you know all the things right get the morning sunlight when you can get yourself yeah. on the grass if you can um get yourself in the in the in the sea if you can like anything like but that 10 hours on a plane positive news i managed to read cover to cover man search for meaning which oh, i really enjoyed and picked out some snippets from that i read energized by simon on cover to cover so you know very rarely you get some sort of 10 hours solid to yourself mm. to read i mean you watch a couple of movies as well and you kind of keep yourself occupied but these are the kind of things on your list you can tick off quite quickly so i feel like i've been pretty productive which is good and i had that i really wanted to I was quite focused on what I wanted to achieve while I was on the plane. So I kind of, for someone who's not that organized, was pretty organized. I brought the books with me, but I've got them all out, laid them out, knew what I was, what, what I was going to read on me, what I wanted to achieve by the time I got back and really happily managed to, to yeah, to, to do what I wanted to do. So from that perspective, I was <laughs> I feel like I've been pretty productive. Yeah, I mean, it sounds good. I mean, actually, I guess it kind of lends into a little bit of what I, I thought we'd talk about and uh, whether... I guess it ties in or not with, with the idea of like discipline. Cause I feel like you, you were quite disciplined there on the plane books instead of movies and things like that. Whereas I used to be a bit better with the, the with, like that with the books and the reading. And then recently in the last couple of years, I'm sure I've, I've been more of a download my movies onto my phone and, and watch, watch movies now. 
Um, but I think I that's what most of my colleagues did, to be fair, that came out with me. They had everything yeah. on, on their iPads. And I actually find that really tiring, though, actually on a plane watching movies. I find it, it struggle. I struggle a bit with it, um, especially with the screens that they provide, because actually they're too big and too too much in my face. Uh, and I actually prefer my phone. But, um, but yeah, I thought maybe like willpower, uh, discipline, but also... Um, because I've just been having a conversation with my mentees, all these uh, teenagers that I mentor around the world, and we were talking. They haven't about... actually asked you what you've been up to. Sorry, that was really rude of me. I've told you about. I didn't tell you what I've done. I told you about my my flight and my jet lag. But um, yeah, what have you been I mean, up to for the last? Honestly, last couple not, of weeks? not very interesting. Just work, uh, running lots of workshops. Had um, quite a busy week last week. I think I did four four workshops, which were in all schools, and and they were pretty tough-ish days if I'm honest um for one reason or another like maybe it was a behavior thing another one it wasn't behavior but it was the energy of the group just needed so yeah. much uh so much input um and and running about in the evenings doing stuff and actually what I have been doing a lot of recently which I've been really enjoying and I, I did today after teaching um is I, I I've just been using I think we've talked about this before but I've just been using the sauna and the steam room a lot more yeah, and, nice. and I'm I've been missing it because I used to use it all the time uh, in Finsbury Park when I used to live around there because it was really close. Now there isn't one in the gym that I go to locally, but there is one on the way home if I travel through London. So whenever I travel through London, I stop off in in Highbury and and use the one there. And I felt that my body feels, I think, like ten years younger at the moment. My I was in yoga the other day and I was moving in a way that I haven't felt for a while. And I think. Because the only real difference is the steam and the, and the sauna. I haven't really changed much of my other routine. And we, I think it's that. We've been the opposite. And I went to a massive, massive uh, Gaylord Conference Centre near uh, the Denver Airport. And the pool, I was really excited. Packed all my swimmer stuff. You know, I'm in training for Ironman 70.3 Stafford coming up. I thought, I'll get my swimming in, get my running in, you know, use the gym. Got there. And the swimming pool was closed because apparently one of the, the, the air conditioning tubes had fallen whilst people were swimming and landed in the pool. I think six people ended up in hospital. So the pool was completely closed. I'm sure there'll be a massive legal suit as well, chasing that down. So we couldn't get in the pool, which was gutted. You know, massive conference center. We ended up hotel bound. And literally there's nothing around. So there's the hotel and then just barren wasteland. So right. couldn't really go anywhere. I did go for a run, but it was the most like dull, straight-lined run, just following the streets around, coming back. Um, and then it was just like you're in hotel food, you know, which is which is fine, but I'm not that disciplined, so definitely overconsumption. So for fitness side and well-being side, lack of sleep, not the best diet at all. Couldn't swim, so I was a bit guided by that. Um, but have been productive on the work side. I think I did recorded 20 or maybe 22 podcasts during the, the four days I was there, because that's why I was there. I was there as a media partner, so I was just like podcast, 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 all about speaking payroll, speaking HR, speaking all the things in the world that I work in. Um, so I've been pretty, pretty taxing. Um, and I came back, but right. I'll get on it now. Saturday, Sunday, I'll hit my you know, beautiful weather. I'll get on my bike. And I woke up and I was like, I can't do it. I just can't face it. I was like, I'm too tired. Can't get on my bike. In beautiful weather, I just, I was, I've been absolutely rubbish. So now I'm feeling like that, you know, the, the, the guilt that I haven't quite done what I should have done. Because usually I've got the willpower, you should be talking about earlier, to get out and do it regardless of the situation. But this weekend, it's probably the first weekend in a long time. I've literally done very, very little. I mean, I, I, and I guess this is a good point to start the the kind of main topic, really, because I do feel like, you know, you you are someone that that that, that is really good generally with with exercising. I feel like that that's a strength. But I feel like a lot of people, and this is something I keep trying to teach them, um, and and I'll, I'll be interested to hear your thoughts. But they always think, oh, you know, I'd love to get out and exercise and do this and do that or stick to a diet, but I don't have the willpower or I don't have the discipline. And I'm often told by my friends, oh, you're so disciplined. And you probably think I'm quite disciplined as well. And I, I yeah, and I actually, I, I don't feel I am. And, and I don't feel it's to do with willpower or discipline. And I'm not, there's 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 contention around the, the studies around willpower for for years they were saying willpower is a finite resource and then uh, then you can recharge it with sleep and you can recharge it with food and then recently it was like it wasn't really about being a finite resource um i think the whole talk about it's irrelevant to some degree anyway willpower discipline and and the reason i feel like it is is because ultimately those things don't create the consistency in my view they they're kind of good to get you going they don't ultimately change things in the long term my changes that i felt i did 12 13 years ago when when we met and then i made some changes 
did not, I believe, come from discipline. Because if I had to be disciplined in my eating, which most people think I'm very disciplined in my eating, I think I'd find that a real struggle and it would wane and I would have given up after six months or a year because it because to, to be disciplined at something requires effort, a lot of effort. And we have to put energy into that effort. Whereas what I think it is more to do with is really two things. One, it's habits, habits and routines. Yeah. And two, it is to do with identity and and how and self-image. And I think that's what ultimately changed for me. And that how I saw myself shifted. Like I see myself, for example, as as like someone who's always going to exercise, a regular exercise. That's part of my identity. Ever since I was eight years old, I was going to judo and then martial art, other martial arts and football and everything. And so it's wrapped into who I am as a person. So for me, but I will say it's still an effort to exercise, right? but it's still part of my identity. I think it's quite interesting that you you wrap up willpower. I don't think I'd ever considered wrapping up willpower with discipline as two things that necessarily go together. I guess they do because willpower involves self control. Uh, naturally, they're not. It's not a term I'd have I'd have grouped with willpower. So, but you mentioned then like you did sport from a young age. But that's that's almost also if you were to link the two, it's part of your your the, the way you were nurtured and in the way you. you know, you would have been disciplined in the way that you were parented to, to get you into that. So for you to form that, that level of identity in the first place, right? Certainly for me, my dad took me to football every single week without failure. I didn't, didn't see, you know, wouldn't see much from during the week. He works on the farm. We, Saturday was our day. We'd go to football every single week, sit from the age of God, four mm. all the way through to 18. I don't think he ever missed a game. And that was just, that was discipline. That was, so I came, you know, I was in, that was my time with my dad and that was time when I played sport. So I guess there's discipline in that. I, I can't remember, though, linking that to willpower. That was just something we did. Yeah. I don't know if they necessarily always have to be interlinked. Maybe they do. I don't, know they, I, I don't know if they always have to be interlinked. But, I mean, I will say that for me, it wasn't that it was driven by an external factor. Like, my parents didn't – I mean, they took me to swimming when I was younger and judo at the beginning. But it wasn't that they were insisting on these things. And I was in the, my family the one who was more into sports than my two siblings. And so I felt like, for me – it just became, and this is when I remember it, and I remember this distinctly. There's a few moments in my life where I feel like I've made a decision, and I always heard about um, Tony Robbins would talk about the word decision means uh, decair or something from from Latin to to cut, to cut away. And then when you make a decision, you cut away from all other possibility, and it's suddenly there. And I think there's a couple of times in my life where I can remember making a decision where it was so strong that there was no other path that I was going to go down. And and the first time, uh, not the first time, but the uh, recent time, which was probably 11 years ago, and I came out of uh, the Tony Robbins event, UPW, which I'm seeing advertised on the tube, actually, at the moment, and he's in Birmingham this year. And I went in 2012. And I've been a fan of Tony Robbins for about six years prior to that, listened to pretty much every audio that he's ever done. Yeah. And I didn't feel that when I was in the event that it was particularly life-changing for me personally. And I've done lots of life-changing things. And what I realized is that about six months after the event itself, I suddenly am doing something where I tie it back to that, that point and think, ah, oh, that has made, a, deci- that has made a, a change in my life. And so for the Tony Robbins thing, what I realized about six months after the Tony Robbins was that as soon as I came out of the Tony Robbins, I went and bought my first juicer. And I didn't tie the two together until much later. But I remember being in my kitchen with the juicer the first time that I was using it. In that moment, I made a decision that every day I'm going to juice. And every day so, for the next three years, I did. I want to I I sit here because I want to make sure that I understand whether you and I define this. I think it's really interesting. This is like you and me being out like this is how what we're talking about in the pub. Because I've probably got different definitions of what this means. It appears to me that we do. So using your decision, um, and by the way, you know, Tony Robbins is great, and all, all, everything you've said makes sense, and this isn't to disagree. But the reason I think I don't think, for me, I, I associate discipline with willpower. Discipline, like when you make a decision, typically gives you instant gratification. So I'll be disciplined. I'll make my bed in the morning. I don't particularly want to do it, but I'll, I'll do it now because it's just something that I'll do because it's an instant thing. Blah, blah, blah. And it may be the same. Maybe I, I maybe my issue is more context of t- my context contextualization of time, right? But I would consider willpower to be something that we consciously decide what we want to do when we want to do it, 
the thing we decide to do involves resisting temptation. So if you know, you're pushing off a reward and, and, and getting that reward later on. So if you're doing you know, willpower, in, in my context of doing an Ironman race, you know, when I'm doing a, four hours into a five-hour ride and I'm really struggling, I could stop now. I could make a decision and I could stop. Right? I've done all the, all the discipline work has been done. I've done the work to get there. But actually, it's the willpower that keeps me going. It's the resisting the temptation to stop, knowing the reward will come later if I push on through. I would be more associated with willpower with, with resilience that I would with discipline from my perspective and the way that I do things, I would say it was more closely aligned with the, the word resilience of just keep going when everything else is telling you to stop. And uh, that doesn't have to be in the world of, of athletics and sports, just where I can think about it. It's like willpower, you know, not eating that donut, right? So uh, the, the, I, I understand what that could also be discipline for a greater goal. But for me, it, it, in my brain, that would be more associated with willpower because I really want it now, but I'm going to go, no, because my bigger goal is, Get into why I'm and dum, 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 dum. maybe maybe I'm I think I'm agreeing with you as I'm talking out loud. There's a I don't know, but I just think a few distinctions. Yeah. So let me separate the explanation I was given from willpower and discipline because the decision part, and the reason I, I mentioned the decision both in that moment to make the juice, is that that decision created in me a new identity of who I was going to be. And therefore, it's not discipline that gets me to do the juicing or willpower, it is what it is. It is like brushing my teeth. It is like doing anything else that you do. And the same thing happened when it came to exercise, because I remember being in Athens when I was around seven years old. And I, I remember this so distinctly because I, I was wearing this white singlet thing that my mum had bought me. And we went to the old stadium where the Olympics were first held in 1896, I believe it was, or, or the first modern Olympics. I think it was. I think it was that one or maybe it was the old Olympics from either way, it was this old site. And I remember we went for a run with my two sisters and my mum. I don't think it was my dad. And I remember thinking to myself, I'm going to, I'm going to win. Right? I'm going to, I'm going to beat them. And I remember when I finished that race, suddenly something changed internally inside of me where I decided that physical exercise was going to be part of my identity. And I remember seeing, feeling a distinct change at the time. And they're the only two times I think in my life that I can come up with now where I've made a choice or a decision and I've noticed there's been a fundamental shift in who I identify as. And the reason I bring that up is because that identity shift created a different set of habits and routines which didn't require discipline and don't require... So discipline, I guess, is doing the thing that you're supposed to do when you're supposed to do it, whether you want to do it or not. Willpower is somewhat similar However, I can I see from your example where you're saying, let's say you're at mile 23 of a 26.1 or 26.2 marathon. And it's that willpower that is going to get you to the finish because you're you're willing yourself, you're 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 striving for that short-term pain for that long-term gain. And but everything's this, telling you to you, stop. I think that's where the definition differs for me on discipline. Because for you in your example, and we won't go around in circles here, so apologies. I'm just trying to get my head my head. Yeah, yeah, go for it. So the juicing you say is part of your identity, and I get that. So the yeah. things that you value, and you talked about with me on the show and, and beyond, is you know things like security, vitality, energy, health, right? So for you, it's part of your identity to juice every day. However, you still need to be disciplined. To, to you know, many times we come onto this show, you said I've just just juiced, I've just prepared this for tomorrow. For me, mm -hmm. they're all things that that are maybe part of your identity, but they're disciplined actions to do. I think just like for, for, you know, I have to drink water every day, but I have to be disciplined to make sure I do drink it or I won't. Mm -hmm. I don't like it. So for me, that that's because you want you want the outcome there's no willpower involved in that at all because it's an outcome you know it's part of your identity it's part of who you want to be there's nothing in you saying you don't want to do this so for me that's why i don't see the distinction being with willpower willpower usually yeah. is when you don't want to do something but i juice every day i don't but if i did that would need a lot of discipline and willpower for me because okay. i wouldn't really want to do it i'd be like oh such a hassle i've got to get the kids ready for school it goes against you know i'm going to be late for this it's going to delay my training so i would need willpower i need to understand the reward would have to be great enough for me to want to do the work to make that happen mm -hmm. i'll have to have those things all have to be combined i'd have to be you know so therefore i would need willpower to do that but I still think it's in your instance, it's disciplined whether you would do it or not, because it's a it's a regular thing. And I, maybe I'm thinking of, a, of it in army terms or, 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 you know, it's just I have that association with doing it every single day. Yes. It's like if I ask you, do you feel like you're being disciplined brushing your teeth twice a day or having a shower every day? And, and yes. other people might think they are. 
for that. I would. I'm just like in the army, making your bed every day. So, we'd associate that with being disciplined. Yeah. Yeah. So I guess in that regard, then you could call it discipline, because if we shower every day or we brush our teeth every day or any action that we're doing that is benefiting us in some way that we're doing on a regular basis, whether we create energy to do that or not, is maybe discipline then. You might sometimes need discipline with willpower. So if you've never, using a running example, a lot of people do couch to 5K, right? Whatever whatever they want to do and have never ran before. They know the benefits are out there, but actually they really don't want to do it. So they have to have huge amounts of willpower because they know the reward will come later. So it's the temp- they have to resist temptation to get mm. there. That's what willpower is for me. The temptation would be to stay sat on the sofa and not go and do it. But actually, you need willpower to get off because you know the reward will come. You've got to put the work in. Now, of course, you've got to be disciplined with that work or the results will never come. Yeah. One one won't make the change. You've got to do it daily, a weekly, whatever. But I think well, for, for me, it's when you everything's telling you you don't want to do it, but you do it anyway. Well, that's that That for me is, yes, that's the willpower and the willpower is the catalyst. I also feel like in some way that that's the discipline as well because a lot of the things that I do, I don't want to do them anyway. Like I didn't really want to have to prep my veg for tomorrow morning and my 6 a.m. start if I didn't if I if I didn't have to do it. I would rather not do it. I guess that I guess that it's like a Venn diagram, willpower and discipline <laughs> for me, in that there's overlapping. For me, the point I'm I guess I'm trying to make is maybe the difference is the discipline can be a consistent thing, whereas the the willpower, in my view, is short-lived. But I guess my point I'm trying to make is that when you make a decision about something. Right, where it's you're gonna walk every day, you're gonna juice every day. Yeah, it might seem like discipline to the outside person, but only in as much as someone who doesn't brush their teeth, seeing someone brush their teeth every day, they're saying, Oh, they're so disciplined, they're brushing their teeth every sure. day. And actually, I guess when we're younger and our parents are making us brush our teeth every day, they're instilling that discipline. Discipline. In, yeah. into us. The thing I'm really interested in with you we're using your research in particular, because I'm a big believer that you can train your willpower. Now everyone that you know, it's not just an innate thing that's sat there with a you know with a limited amount of control. I think if you if you put the work in, it's something that it's kind of a if you were to align it with a muscle, I think it's something that can be developed. I'll be keen to know from your side, because you've you know done a lot of research into this and whatever. What's your view on willpower? Is it something that do we all have the same level? And if you know, are we born with the same levels? Can we change our levels can we improve our levels i would argue maybe arrogantly i don't mean to that in certain instances my willpower is much stronger than others but then when i'm talking about it in terms of the sporting context and yet from you but you probably associate with identity i don't have the willpower to change my diet to the level that you have or to change my surrounds in the evening like you do is that even willpower is that i don't know i think you know something about willpower that I think I think it's very much tied into your self-talk because let's say we're both this is why I asked you probably on episode one or two that when you're on your cycle trips with me and we're both going up those steep hills what are you thinking to yourself what are you saying to yourself and you were saying you're just trying to beat the the time before you know you're, you're looking at numbers and times and things whereas you know I'm saying you know getting stronger getting yeah, faster or get a lot of the time what I used to be saying is damn, this is hard. I don't think yeah. I, yeah, I can't keep up with him. I'm not as fair. I should have done more training and so on. And that determines the willpower as well, how you talk to yourself. Because if you're saying, I can do this just one more mile, you know, this is easy. That's going to create a stronger willpower. So I think your willpower is intrinsically linked into your self-talk. And so depending on how you might naturally be in terms of a self-talk way, and that, that can be changed, will determine your level of of willpower in a specific so as a question not sure i know how to do this so i'm thinking out loud right yeah how would you define the differences between because everything you've said and everything i've said i'm thinking what is the difference between willpower and resilience because i think i just described resilience that's just self-talk that's the when you want to give up you want to keep going that not giving up too soon I, I think the only real difference for me between the two and you may disagree i hadn't thought about this till it kind of popped up when i associate the words earlier is usually willpower for me would would involve a reward later on, whereas to be resilient there isn't always. Well, maybe there is. You can't just have to keep going sometimes. Yeah. It's like you know, keep calm and carry on is a bit more resilient. But I guess the reward is the ability to carry on. But maybe with willpower, there's a, there's a physical or, or a mental effort to achieve something, so you you push differently. But where would you? How does it differ for you? I think for me, resilience is two things. So most people think about resilience in one way and 
often when I hear about people talking about resilience, it's about being knocked down and the ability to bounce back and get back from a setback. I agree with that. And I also think that resilience is about not being able to get knocked down in the first place. So what I mean by that is if I wanted to build a more resilient body, for example, and I'm eating well because I don't want to have the seasonal flu or the seasonal cold that other people might get. So therefore, I'm more resilient. So I've not been knocked down in the first place, as opposed to I've been knocked down with something and I'm bouncing back quicker. So yeah, for me, resilience is the body in that instance. Yeah, yeah. So for me, resilience is more about a ability to get knocked down and bounce back, and b the ability not to get knocked down in the first place. Willpower is the ability for me to strive towards a goal when I guess the odds are against me and I don't feel like carrying on. Discipline is doing the thing that I need to do at the time I need to do it, whether I want to do it or not. Okay. I guess those 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 three things. I am. Um, I'll sound like a really bad parent now. True story. <laughs> some some people already know this and they're listening in. Because uh, some people have asked to see the presentation, which I haven't shared. But um, I asked my uh, my son. Um, he's, he's a sensitive boy. Love him, love him, love him to bits. Of course, I do. And he was um, having a few issues at school. And he, you know, he, he, he's, he's just picked up football and different things. But we were playing tennis this one time, and I think a kid hit a tennis ball at him. Kind of hit him. And he was desperate for me to notice it hit him. And he was. I don't think it. I, my personal view is it didn't particularly hurt, but he was really keen for me to notice it. And then when I did notice it, of course, the tears come. So he always come after the dad spotted it and. We we're in the car afterwards, and I went. You know, you need, it'd be worth you trying to be more resilient um, for these things, there because you know you will get hit now and again, and these things will happen. And as you say, it's how we bounce back. And um, there's nothing wrong with with with, with crying. That's okay, but you you still need to carry on. You can't. You shouldn't finish your session, right? You you're okay. You're physically okay, and, and you know it's, it's one of these things. So we we agreed that um, he would create a presentation on resilience. There was some pocket money involved if he did this for us. And um, it was really good. He, he, he created a presentation talking about plants and we'd, we'd worked through it together anyway. So I knew where it was going. It was really interesting. If you think about how plants grow, the resilience of plants can be, you can put them in a soil where there's, you know, where there's no shade and some just won't make it. They'll, they'll, uh, sorry, where there's, where there's too much shade and they won't grow because they can't find the sun. And then you'll find other plants which are able to kind of creep around and then they, they find a bit of sun, they, they creep around something else and they move. And even where there's no sunlight, even where the, the, the soil is poor, there's no water, you know, in the desert, whatever. This whole thing about the resilient plants are the ones that always seem to find a way. They snake through and they, 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 they I don't know, they're able to find water, they're able to find sunlight and they're able to survive in the harshest of conditions. I was like, yes, you know, that's not about being, you know, knocked down by the fact you haven't got sun. Well, let's go find some sun. Oh, I've got no water. Let's go find some water. Let's go find the fertile soil. The resilient ones are the ones that survive, yeah. and I think it's been a really positive experience for both of us actually. But to work through it as a uh, parent and son experience, but also for him to understand what it is. And we went running the other day, which is why I mentioned it. We, we we go we go bowling sometimes on a Tuesday, and then we go for a little run down the coast afterwards with my son and my daughter. And he was really struggling, but um, for whatever reason, usually run that distance regularly. But this particular time, he was he was struggling. But he was saying to me, "I'm going to be resilient, Dad. I'm going to get to the end because I'm going to keep the resilience is about keep going even when you're tired." And he was. It was good because he did keep That's going. Good. He did make it there. It was like, oh, that was something to be celebrated. There's a little bit of willpower in there as well because he really wanted to stop. Yeah. But it was a good exercise. I, and I like I like um, the definition he gave there. I mean, we could call it resourcefulness as well, but I like the way you said find a way. Like, the, the plants yeah. find a way. And, and maybe that actually, you know, works quite nicely with resilience because when you get knocked down, you find a way back up, but also... When before getting knocked down in the first place, you're still finding a way not to get knocked down. Exactly, and so it might work quite nicely. uh, Resilient, and I think this is is a word that didn't really come on my radar for a long time, but it it does tie into the other topic, which was was failure that I was talking about earlier before we met with my students or my mentees. And I wanted to talk about failure because a lot of the time I I talk to students about failure because I feel like when I was at school and even beyond. I, there was always this, not taboo, but I guess failure was always seen to be a bad thing. And sure. my goal with my students is to encourage failure and celebrate failure because ultimately, and I ask them this question, usually I say, who do you think fails more, successful people or unsuccessful people? And invariably most say successful people. And I say, why? Well, the unsuccessful person will fail 
once, twice, five times, 10 times and give up. The successful person really only needs to be successful once and they might have a thousand failures or 10,000 failures in the case of Thomas Edison and his light bulb with that story. Oh, there's a, a more famous recent example, which is, I, don't, I don't know what the exact quote was, but Michael uh, Jordan uh, said, you know, he missed more baskets than anybody. Well, but it's scored more as well. You had to... You had to shoot more to miss more and to practice. Well, it's interesting you bring that up because I actually showed them the two night commercials earlier today. Ah, the, the, one, the one on failure and the one which is maybe it's my fault. I don't know if you've seen yeah. the, those two. And, and I also gave them the example, and you would have heard of this person probably. They hadn't. But have you heard of the baseball player Babe Ruth? You must have Yeah, I know Babe Ruth. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. And I said to them, well, he was the person, I don't know if this stat is still true, but he had the most amount of home runs ever. But... He also had the most amount of strikeouts ever as well. So he was yeah, I can believe that. In both. Yeah, and it was home run or, or out. Yeah, exactly. And and the thing is that we, and I told them the story of, um, you might not know who she is, but Sarah Blakely, I don't know if that name rings a bell to you, but she's uh, the founder of a company called Spanx, which is the women's shapewear company. And she was being interviewed on a podcast once. And I remember hearing her tell this story, which I really resonated with and her company's worth billion two billion she's sole owner of it she didn't take any investment and so on but she said that her and her brother when they were having dinner with her dad when they were growing up who would always ask them what have you failed at today and if they couldn't come up with something that they'd failed at he'd be annoyed with them because it meant that they hadn't pushed themselves hard enough in in some way and i and i say to my students look you're all very successful at overcoming failure and i ask them and i say the reason i know this having just met you is because I saw you all walking about earlier today, provided I've seen them walking about and, and they get confused. And I say, well, look, the average toddler on average fails 17 times an hour when learning to walk falls down 17 times an hour. And I say, look, imagine Nick, your parent or whoever had said to you when you were growing up, you know what, Nick, you've fallen down 12 times already this hour. You're clearly not getting this walking malarkey. If I was you, I would crawl for the rest of your life. Way easier, less heartache. Luckily, they don't say that. You carry on failing for another six months, eight months, 12 months, and you become very successful at walking. Now, somewhere between the age of two and three and 14 and 15, we think failure is a bad thing and we do our best to avoid it without realizing that actually failure is your only route to success. And it's not something I really realized, I think, until I started reading lots of autobiographies about 12 years ago, 15 years ago. Yeah. And for me... You, I'm sure you're familiar with the whole Carol Dweck fixed mindset, growth mindset stuff. Um, and, yeah. and I was definitely someone of a more fixed mindset because I think I was told always, oh, you're smart. I, I did well in certain exams. Oh, you're smart. And so my identity was wrapped up with being smart, but it also meant that I didn't do things that would maybe shatter that identity by pushing myself enough. And we were sharing some examples and I, I can share a couple with you, two that stick into my mind of, of failure where I felt they impacted me for a long time and the first one was I think I was probably quite young about nine or ten and I'd done my grade three violin and I didn't really practice my my musical instruments um, and that was the first one that I got back and I'd, I'd failed it and I remember going up into my bedroom and like crying for like an hour or two and then eventually and then I guess this talks about resilience but eventually you know I guess my mum had come and spoke to me and then I wanted to give up the music altogether and then eventually I, I did the exam again and passed and then the other time that I felt and I think this impacted me a lot in terms of you know confidence or wanting to prove myself is trying to get into my secondary school there was an entrance exam and although I'd done all right in the entrance exam I didn't get a, a strong enough recommendation from the, the head teacher and for whatever reason I didn't get into that school I, I did eventually and uh, I was on the waiting list, but I remember feeling like a real failure. This is 11 years old, right? So you feel like an absolute failure. I've got uh, some interesting examples to come back with in a minute, just because they, they, they mirror yours, but with slightly different outcomes. Yeah, and so I think that, that really <laughs> affected me. And, and I guess it was like this, that it, it was this idea of failing. And, and, it, and I remember it coming up when, like, even when I'm shooting a basketball, and let's say you miss a few shots, then your teammates don't have faith in you that you're going to make the shots. Then suddenly you get into your own head and then you don't take the shots and you take the pass instead of taking the shot because you don't want to miss without realizing it, it is about missing and you have to miss those shots in order to, to get the shots in. And so I think that just is something that affected me. And, and the last thing I want to say before you give your examples, and I often put this out and I like my acronyms. And so I often put an acronym up on the board and I'll write the word fail. And I tell them, I want you to fail today. Today's your opportunity to fail. 
and I write the acronym F-A-I-L. And I say, it's simply your first or frequent, if you've done it before, attempt in learning. So today is your first attempt at learning these skills. And so you have to fail. That's by definition, the, the, the word fail. That's nice. And, and, it, and that's something I only heard about six years ago from somewhere. And I thought, you know what? I like that. I'm going to latch onto that because that resonated so much with me. And I still am afraid to fail sometimes, but a lot less than before. And, and even I was talking to my friend the other day who was listening to the podcast and, and he was giving me some feedback. And it was our first episode that he listened to. So it's not going to be perfect. And I remember saying to him, yeah, okay, it's fine. You can give me the feedback and, and everything because I'd much rather get things out there now then wait for things to be perfect. Yeah. Well, you know, that's my style, right? I'm just jumping straight in and this is, ask, exactly. ask, for forgive, ask for forgiveness, not permission, which doesn't no. always uh, work. But it's uh, I'm just going to pick up on a couple of things. Because I, because I never realised we had some similarities in what we did and the way we grew up and things we had to do. Uh, and B, I don't know if, what this means for my mindset, um, but it's a different story. So first things first, I also learned to do the violin. I did do grade one, didn't get to grade three. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but at my junior school, uh, primary school, I was the only, I remember being the only child, about 48 kids at the school, village school. I mean, actually, some people uh, went to that school listen to this. Um, a shout out to, uh, to Emma. Um, but I was the only kid in that school not to get child of the week. So I remember saying to my violin teacher, will you put a word in if I train really, really hard? She's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Train really hard all week. He didn't put a word in. I, was, I got really upset. But the following week, I said, yeah, if I train really hard this week, like, will you put a word in? So for me now, being really good at school for two weeks running was a real effort. This this did involve willpower and discipline right? mm. <laughs> and resilience for me because I was not a particularly good kid at school. I used to mess around a lot. Cheeky rather than, you know, nothing too, too untoward. But even so, did it again, uh, really hard. And she really missed it. I remember practicing really hard. I remember practicing the, the song Little Donkey, I, which I did once play in a local church in Woodford Primary School. It was terrible. I remember doing this after grade one and she didn't give me the sticker. I ended up walking out. I threw the violin on the floor in front of the whole school and said, stuff it, I'm done. And then marched out of the school, right? So that was my mindset at that point. She wasn't going to give it. That was me. My willpower done. I'd quit. As far as I'm concerned, she didn't live up to her end of the bargain. I maintain that, by the way. I understand <laughs> that she was getting me to practice regularly, but there's a limit. Yeah. And I've gone one week and this was the second. I never did win Child of the Week, by the way, ever in primary school. So that was the first thing. Only because you mentioned the violin. Then the school incident, I remember really upsetting my mum. So there's a Bishop's uh, Grammar School uh, where I grew up in Salisbury, which is a you know pretty good boys' school. But all my friends, all the kids I played football with, went to a comprehensive school in Amesbury, which was so Salisbury was like three miles from the house. Amesbury was eight miles away, but that's where my brother went. Bus picked up from outside. All my mates went that way from my primary school. I just wanted to go to Stonehenge, and also Stonehenge was a mixed school, which was big for me. So I did not want to go to more boys' school. But Mum had set me up for the uh, the entrance exam, the, the eleven plus. So yeah. I went. Ironically, my violin teacher. Ended up the same violin teacher. I was just thinking about now drove me to that eleven plus. I don't know. That's another thing. Maybe she did actually like you and care for you. But okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah this is probably a, few, a couple of years on from me quitting violin. She was still at the school. Anyway, uh, Mrs. Bishop, her name was, but she drove me to the um, example, and I didn't answer a single. I sat there in total obstinance and didn't answer a single thing on the paper. I'm pretty sure I had to go over two days, not one. Maybe that's my memory playing tricks with me. But I didn't answer anything. And I remember being at home. My mum. I lived inside a nursery school, which my mum ran. And I remember her getting a phone call saying, your son sat it and, and he hasn't answered a thing. So he hasn't passed. Like, he, hasn't, he hasn't even put his name down. And she hit the roof. It's my future. You jeopardize this. Oh, you, you don't know what you're thinking now at 11. You don't know what you're doing. And I remember being the happiest man in the room, knowing definitely going to the comp. I definitely can't go. I'm really happy about it. And then sort of several years later, reflecting, going, probably wasn't the best move. I mean, my grades were fine. I, 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 did, I did what mm. I wanted to do, but... You look back and go, my mum was probably right. Actually, the grammar school probably would have been quite cool to have gone to for different reasons and whatever, but didn't do those things. I was just thinking you, your school example of, of trying harder. Mine was the complete opposite, do less. But I wanted to get to that, for me, that my growth outcome, the thing about growth mindsets or fixed mindset, um, I wanted to get, do my own thing, make my own way. And uh, it led us to where we are now. But interestingly, yeah. when you're talking about the failure piece, so I'll come back. There's a coaching thing, which you might know anyway, and we work with this with our client, with my clients anyway, is there's a thing you can do, which is expect the storm. If you know the failure is coming, which is what you're doing with your kids, which is great. Yeah. If you know failure is a possibility, then you can prepare for it. You can accept it. You can plan for it. You can use that discipline you were talking about to potentially overcome it. Okay, if, if the, you know, catastrophize it in theory, hopefully it doesn't happen in practice, but if we catastrophize, what then? How would you feel? And then if that happened, what then? Then how would you feel? And actually, if we have those stories in our mind in that, in, that, in that coaching mindset, 
it can really help us prepare for the worst so we know what actions to take in that particular situation. And I always use um, an example of, of, of with clients, I say, you know, we're often we love ladders, but we're really fearful of snakes. So when you're climbing your career ladder, and I do a lot of career coaching, what's the next rung of the ladder you're going to get to? And what happens if you hit a snake? You know, what happens if, what snakes you need to be mindful of? What snakes could take you back down? How would you react to that? How would you get back on the ladder? Where, where's the goal or the place you want to get to? What dice are you going to roll to help get there? And there's loads of questions you can work through. Um, I thought it was quite interesting because I think all that links to yeah. failure. You know Absolutely. it's coming. was a possibility. We can plan for it. I think, you know, where you talked about, you know, knowing it's there, knowing it's coming is really important because the thing is, that's what isn't appreciated. When I go to schools and I suddenly tell them, you're going to fail. It's okay to fail. You're allowed to fail. It's part of getting to success. And I say, look, you have to, you have to visit. Right? You have to go on holiday. You just don't have to live there because they're so afraid of failure. And, and I don't ever remember being told that it was okay and it was necessary to fail, to learn and to get through things. I mean, I guess you learn some of it, right? You, you ride a bike, you fall down, you do all that. But at some point, it's the exams, the pressures, all of this. And you, you suddenly think that there's no margin for failure without realizing that every successful person has, has, has got to that point through failure. And I was saying to the girls, and I don't know how true this is. I think this is true because I remember hearing some VC talk about it, like a venture capitalist. But he was saying that in, in Silicon Valley, for example, that they may ask you, right, what other business have you failed at? You know, what business have you launched that's failed? And if you haven't, if you can't come up with a business that you've done that's failed, they won't give you an investment because they know the failure is coming. And so they don't want it to be with their money. So they want you to have failed before they get your money, before you get your uh, their money. And so I think that's just important for people to recognize is that it's a part of life, right? And I, I say, yeah, whether it's Thomas Edison or Kentucky Fried Chicken guy. So normally I say the KFC guy, Colonel Sanders, right? You know, retires at 65 years old from the army, has got nothing but this tiny little paycheck and then this little recipe that he's got. So he goes around to all these diners in his in his um, state or his borough, try to get them to take the recipe on and give them a commission when they sell the chicken and then none of them want it. So he goes further afield and further afield and eventually he goes to... 500 then he goes to a thousand then he goes to like something like 1300 different restaurants and none of them want him in the end i think he gets a loan from the bank starts his own chicken shack up which becomes kfc which he sells for a few years later for multiple millions and i say look if he'd given up after a thousand no's where would he be right if sylvester stallone had given up after his first thousand no's when it came to the rocky script where would where would he be and we yeah. we just forget that because we always see we always see the tip of the iceberg with people. We see the success point and not all the yeah, failures. Not underneath. Yeah, yeah. yeah sure. and I think I just like to reiterate that to people, especially young people, but also adults, because it, you know, sometimes people make a deal out of a failure. And, you know... But we, we, we talked, I think it, I think it might have been the last episode or one before, about uh, um, fight, flight or freeze when I panicked mm. at the Ironman um, race because my dropout broke on my bike. If those have listened yeah. to it, go back. But that was... I mean, you always say if you hear a cliche, listen to it, there's something in it. Mm. But if you fail to, you know, failing to prepare means we're preparing to fail, right? Now, I use that word fail because you've used it. That's a cliche we hear a lot. But that was an example there where if I hadn't planned well enough, I didn't have that piece of kit. But there's a, a Olympic, uh, Paralympic, um, sorry, a gold medalist guy called Jonathan Boom Edwards. So I've been privileged to meet and I've heard him talk. He's a really great guy. But he won gold at the uh, most recent Olympics. And I know his coach as well, because he's, he's helped me with my coach, which is great. Like a fantastic coach called Graham Ravenscroft. So shout out if you're listening. In his story, really interestingly, I think it was the last one was Beijing, right? Have I got that right? Beijing Olympics? The last one? I can't even. No, I think it was uh, Japan, wasn't it? Japan. No, well, it was somewhere hot, right? They weren't expecting rain. But in his, in his uh, talk, he said that he prepared for every eventuality. and was literally the only one in Olympic Village that bought a rain mat, bought an umbrella, bought all this kit that no one thought they'd ever need. And he was prepared for every possible eventuality. And lo and behold, day of his he did high jump, the day of his high jump, when he won Paralympic gold, it absolutely peed it down. And he had, it was the only one there fully prepared for the conditions, but it meant that, okay, other people can go and get coats, and, but it, it throws you off because you're yeah. not expecting it. Whereas he was, because he was already expecting, already prepared for it. Yes, they can go and find coats, they can find umbrellas, but it's not what they were expecting. He had expected every eventuality and was able to stay calm in that moment. And thankfully, when he got, got gold for GB in, in his jump, but he, he said it didn't let that derail him. He was watching everyone panicking around like I was yeah. in the Ironman race, trying to find a dropout, trying to find a, a reaction. Well, and there's, a, there's another, another cliche, which is vision drives decision. So again, mm -hmm. in that moment, he, he's visioning getting gold medal, right? So 
in that moment where he's trying about, I know you're very um, into visualization as I am and how powerful that can be. But if we, if we create the vision in our mind and that can drive the decisions that we need to hopefully not saying failure isn't a possibility, but we can, we can certainly do things that mitigate the risks. You know, you can vision if you're Michael Jordan scoring that winning basket in the last possible moment, if you visualize that enough, then we're slightly calmer in the moment. I watched a movie. I don't know if you've seen air. um, Yeah. Recently. I loved it. Yeah. Really interesting. I saw it on the plane. A really, uh, really interesting thing. But in there, the reason they spotted Michael Jordan as being the potential great player he became was because he was so calm as a college 18-year-old, biggest shot in his life, nailed it. And you just wonder, well, how many times did he visualize that moment beforehand? Was that the reason he was calm, that vision-driving decision, that, that you know, planning for failure, uh, so being prepared so that he didn't end up failing? I, I just think all those things kind of comes together really i think it was relevant what you were just just they definitely do and and it's funny you talk about being prepared like so i i as you i think you know anyway but i was in the scout movement from the age of about eight to 21 yeah there's cubs scouts venture scouts leader everything and their motto is be prepared and and i really hold that dearly like i i normally give a talk to some of the students about uh, a duke of edinburgh hike that i did when i was younger and this was actually wasn't through the scouts but it was through another thing and Essentially what happened, the, the story is this. Uh, I, w- I wake up in the morning at 6.30 and the only thing I've got to drink is this warm can of beer. And and so I, and the reason that I've got this warm can of beer is it's the second day of the hike. And the first day was really terrible. Like we got lost, it rained on, soaked. And we didn't realise that we had to find our own supply of water for the four-day hike. And so we ran out of water. And at the end of the first day, the only water we could find was this green swamp juice. And so there was no way I was going to drink that. And so I had to go to bed hungry, tired, wet, and so on. So the next day I've got this can of beer and I'm so thirsty. So I open it. Now, why am I carrying four cans of beer at 18 years old on a hike in Wales? And no water. Very unlike Harry, the Harry I know. Well, this is it. And no water purification tablets or anything. And so I have this swig of beer and then I want to throw up. And so I say to my friend, I'm going to quit. And, and he says, look, the guys come in, to inspect the campsite but he's running late so just walk with us for a bit for 15 minutes and then jump in after 15 minutes the guy still doesn't show up so my friend said look he's running late just walk another 15 minutes then 15 minutes later the sun comes out clouds start to part clothes dry and even better still we find this fresh supply of water and we do the hike very successfully i say i learned three things through that entire process the first thing is be prepared right i wasn't prepared for the whole water situation and as a result i suffered second thing was you can get through difficult things with the times with the support of your friends. And the third thing I learned was that the, although the rainy days come, the sunshine always follows. And I use those as, as stories for them. But the main thing is this be prepared. And so when I go to teach, I often take this massive backpack with me and the teachers will come in and they'll say, oh, you know, do you want a cup of coffee or tea or this, that? And I go, I've, I've got water in there. I've got my herbal tea. I've got my smoothie. And, and even the other day there was a kid, bless him. And, he had this runny nose or something and the teacher wouldn't let him go out to go and get a tissue or something. And I was like, yeah, it's all right. I got some tissues there because when I cycle, I sometimes get a runny nose. So I try and be prepared. And it's something I learned through the scouts actually. And, and even when we were doing our cycle trip once, I remember this and someone had bust up their cleats on their shoes and the, the screws had come out, the, the little things, which you wouldn't have spares of, right? Maybe you might have spare uh, spare yeah. you know, brake pads or something, but you wouldn't have these spare screws for the cleat for the cleats to go into, except for I did. I was like, I had those and I gave them to whoever it was that that needed them. And they're like, how have you got that? I was like, just I like to try and be prepared as much as well, possible. Listen, I, I can I can give testament to to your preparedness because I've you know you've been on cycle tours with me and you pack half your kitchen. So you know we've yeah. seen it. You do. And everyone is smooth, a whole lot comes with you. You know, this is Harry's kitchen. The bread. Uh, very much gluten-free bread the nuts the everything they said, you know, there's an interesting i'd say this to, to leo and i'll say it to even my daughter as well which is um you know you're, you're only ever six inches away from success failure or achieving anything you want in your life they never get it it's like six inches of the, the space between your ears right so just mm. think about what you need to do and, and if you think carefully and you prepare properly or you want to achieve something use that six inches between your ears to, to work it out and um if you think if you think in that way i'm only ever six inches away from achieving whatever i want that just brings it back to, to self. But interestingly, I want to take it just before we finish on willpower. I've got a great example. It's very rare I get to speak about 
um, my brother, because we're, you know, we're, you know, we're a close family, but I don't see a lot of my brother. But interestingly, in terms of willpower and resilience, I think it's a relevant example. So I'll bring it up. So my brother was in a, a really bad um, motorbike accident that severed seven nerves from his spinal cord. So he lost um, use of his right, he was right-handed air, in an aircraft mechanic, and you'll probably tell me off because I've got the exact titles wrong, but worked on, on schnooks and aeroplanes and, and things like that. And then... Um, as a mechanic, he's obviously very used using with your hands, but he lost the full right. It was right-handed, the full use of his right hand. Um, and he's now actually, actually had it amputated. But that was many years later. But since then, watch my brother now. So he he still mountain bikes. He's fully left-handed. He, you know, he brought up his children, he's changing nappies with a single left hand. He still rides motorbikes, drives, still works in the in the aircraft industry. Um, and is still incredibly like he was, it was. My dad was telling me rightly or wrongly, he was putting up scaffolding the other day with one arm, climbing up. Like the resilience and the willpower and the expertise that where we can retrain our brains to overcome whatever the odds are, particularly when we don't always have a choice. So we talked about willpower. I mean, I guess there was a choice here to give up. There is a choice because you can give up. Yeah, he didn't though. And I, you know, for someone I don't see a lot of, but there's a huge amount of respect. Only because he's, you know, the respect for lots of people. He's not obviously not alone in this, but because he's so close to me, to watch someone completely mm. have to relearn and not let him stop the things he loved doing, like mountain biking. He still does like the, 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 the I wouldn't dare do the trail levels that he does, and he's doing it all with one arm. He's just moved all the gears, which again he's done, moved all the gears to one side of the bike, does all the jumps, does it all with one arm. It's like absolutely crazy, but it does really show you, and me personally, because I've seen it, how much we can achieve and we use those six inches between our ears and we we engage our willpower and we engage our resilience and we we just rethink what's possible and the adaptability and resourcefulness of, of the human condition i and it, your, your brother's story reminds me of um the story i heard and i think it was this guy he was in like some kind of horrific plane crash and 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 end up being like disfigured and then had some other accident ended up being in a wheelchair and and when asked about all the things he, he he now can't do. He he said, "Well, before I could do ten million things, let's say, and now I can do nine million nine hundred thousand and ninety. Yeah. So I can still do tons of things. And I guess it, it's all about reframing. And it's really hard to do because something quite challenging happens to you. But if you can reframe it, and again, it goes back to nothing has any meaning except for the meaning you give it. If you for choose, sure. it means that I'm going to be more resourceful, more adaptable." and resilient then that's what you're going to be if you're going to choose that worries me and let me give up then that will be you as well um but actually interestingly when you're talking about the six inches thing it's quite funny you said uh, you're only six inches away from from success or failure i i actually thought you were going to go somewhere else with it and there's a picture you might have seen it where there's two miners who are digging for gold and i think i have tell me it's a great they're, they're two one above the other and this is back in the old days in the old west and they, 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 they've they got their pitchforks and they're going for gold going for gold and you see one of them just striking gold but then the other one just giving up and walking away way whereas if he had just carried on pitching a couple more times, got there. he would have got there and it reminds you of the yeah, detectorist when i watch that great great comedy where they just, just the detectorist the detective oh, it's, it's, it's a british dry comedy it's brilliant about two guys that just love doing metal detecting and they, they right. just miss they just miss the fortune honestly it's way better than it sounds but it's a similar kind of thing they just miss yeah, it, it is. Just but it's hard to know though because it is hard to know because you could keep going and going and going and going and then they're not I still never find it yeah and so it's it's easy when you see it set back and you see it, but you can't see it. And again, I was showing that ticks into the willpower thing is the you keep going because you think there's you hope there's a reward at the end, right? You just that's where where does your willpower give up when you're really pushing well, to it. dig? This is why I, I do think willpower is a bit dangerous because I feel like it's only a catalyst and it can only get you so far. So if you needed to rely, if I needed to rely on willpower to do the things I do as opposed to habit and routine. I wouldn't be doing them because after six months or six weeks or whatever it might be, it's going to go. It's going to go. If I relied on willpower to uh, always eat well, this is what I say to people is, is if you rely on willpower to eat a healthy breakfast and then rely on willpower to eat a healthy lunch, by the time you get to dinner, you're done. Right? Yeah, you're that's away. why most darts don't work. They evolve too much willpower. They're, they they're, they're, evolve too much willpower. They don't enjoy it enough. And whereas if you just like had a routine this is why uh, when we talk about food at some point, we'll talk about front loading in a bit more detail. But 
well, what I do is front loading. So I front load my my nutrition at the beginning of the day. So if I make that smoothie like I did earlier, then I somewhat have an okay lunch. Then by dinner, if it's not going to be so good, which it might not be sometimes, because I'm like everybody else, I might come back and just go and to just eat and order some takeaway. Yeah. At least I've done the good stuff in the day. Whereas if I had to use willpower the whole time, I, I would definitely be, be out. Interestingly, we actually uh, agree on this because I front load as well. That's why I always try and get my exercise done in the morning because the mm, longer yeah. the day goes, the more the oh, willpower yeah. gets challenged, right? You think, oh, I've got this to do and I'm a bit tired now and I've got... Yeah, same thing my, my nutrition. Exercise. I front load on my nutrition. Exactly well, I did this yesterday. So yesterday, Sunday, right? I wake up and it's quite sunny. So I decided to go outside I, uh, in the garden. I do. I actually start off quite well. I do a bit of meditation out in the garden, a bit of natural sunlight. And I think, right, Sundays, often I go for a little mountain bike around Trent Park, which is near me. And I can't remember what happened, but I got caught up with something online. Really bad idea. I decided to check something and and it, and it ended up spiraling. And then the next thing I know, it's one in the afternoon or something, and I'm getting a bit hungry. And then it's two. And then I just don't do it. And I actually didn't even leave the house yesterday, except for the yeah. grass, um, which is actually the garden. So it's not really that. That definitely links to, to some willpower. I thought interesting. I want to bring, come back to something because it popped into my head and I thought it was really mm. interesting when I heard it. And it linked to something we always seem to come full circle to this because we have similar views, which is, you know, we, we term it slightly differently, but you always say nothing means anything to, you, to the minute you give it. And I'm a big believer in that your thoughts control your feelings and then um, mm. you know, thinking not the thought. And it's a similar kind of concept, really. It's worded differently. But interestingly, I was listening to a story. I can't think who it was by. It may have been Simon Ong, because I've just read him. And I, I'm not very good at connecting where these things come from, but it's not mine. But it was really interesting. And it, it made me think about our last episode where we talked about uh, when, you're, when you're grateful for something. I know you're a big believer in, in gratitude, though. It's, it's mm. hard to be unhappy and grateful at the same time. And you mentioned a minute ago about putting things into perspective a little bit. So in this particular example, it was interesting. He was taught, he'd got on a tour, so he had the willpower to go and do, I think it was Simon Ong, goes, goes and does this big trek. It may have been in Nepal or, or Everspace camp or something like that. And he had the tour guide with him. And he had the, he was talking about the willpower he had to keep going to get to the top of the mountain and all this kind of stuff. And it was obviously difficult and whatever. But the tour guide was had nothing but loads of energy. I think it must have been Simon Ong, just talking about energy. And loads of energy for doing these tours. And he had hardly any, you know, pretty much barefooted doing these things. And he mm. said, you know, what are you, what are you doing all this for? What is it that keeps you going to do these tours and these, these conditions? And we've got all of our kit. And, and he said, I, I'm desperate. All I want to do in my life, my, my big goal is that one day I want to own a pair of Nike Air Max trainers. And he was like, okay, so I'm saving up to do that. It's, it's, I've always wanted to have a pair of these Nike Air Maxes. I said, okay. So anyway, they do the trip. And at the end, they all give tips. They all give the tips. And the guy that uh, I think it was Simon, let's assume it is, Simon was on this, on this trip. He decides at the end to give him, he had a pair of night trainers that he hadn't worn or whatever, and he decided to give the tour guide a tip and his shoes. And it was, the two things happened. One is that obviously the tour guide was ecstatic. Like it meant to him way more than anything else. But the other thing I thought was really interesting was when you think about gratitude, the impact it had on Simon who gave the shoes away was it reminded him that we're often talking about this with, you know, and I bring it back to failure, thinking we're not succeeding in something. I thought, like oh, a failure because I can't get off the sofa and go for a run or whatever. But it reminded us of the things that we should be grateful for. And you mentioned the the plate. That's where it came from. You talked about the guy in the plane crash who said, you know, yeah. he used to be 10 million things, like 9,990. But in this instance, in terms of gratitude, he looked down and went, I've never really stood and thought whether or not I should be grateful for the fact that I can A, wear trainers. And B, that I can afford Nike shoes. Uh, that's mm. just not in my periphery of the things I'm typically writing in my gratitude diary, the things that I'm grateful for, until you meet someone that can't access those things. Yeah. And for them, we take those things completely, at least solely for granted, which is a bit of a pun, not meant to be, but you're completely for granted. And um, in his instance, he's like, wow, like this team took me just a moment just to reflect and just be grateful that I bought shoes, that I can go and buy myself a replacement pair of Nike Air Max trainers or, or any trainers for that matter. And I'll go home from this tour and I can leave a tip. And looking at the other side, he'd been working tirelessly on these multiple tours yeah. just to afford the one thing he took for granted. Just thought it was a really interesting, it, it, it linked to your, your aircraft uh, think, crash situation and things we're grateful yeah. for. Yeah. happy when we understand. That we're I, um, actually, I remember I gave my my tour guide as well on uh, on Everest, uh, my sleeping bag in the end, because I, I bought... I bought a warmer sleeping bag. I gave him mine because he, he wasn't even using a sleeping bag. But I remember the first time that I really felt grateful for just this. I don't know if it was the first time, but I remember it was in actually where they make a lot of Nikes in Vietnam. And I was in Vietnam in 2000. And 
I, I went to a bunch of the museums that they've got there where they have really horrific actual jars with children who are now deceased but were born as a result of birth defects because of the Agent Orange that was sprayed during the Vietnam War by made uh, by yeah. Monsanto, who make weed killer at the moment. But they sprayed this Agent Orange. All, all these kids with deformities, and, and a lot of them lived, but they had these deformities. And I remember seeing this guy and he was traveling on a skateboard but the way he was traveling on the skateboard because he had like one arm and maybe one leg and so he was on his body on the skateboard just you know strolling around and i remember thinking jesus like i'm there like and suddenly i was grateful for everything right the education i had the ch- list that sure. two legs and everything and and i still have that image in my head a lot of the time um when i think about what I could be ungrateful for. And that's not to say that sometimes we feel miserable and we feel like we haven't got what we want in life. And that's fine. And we can feel like that. And at the same time, we can also think how grateful we are for the air that we're currently breathing or the wind on my face. Or yesterday, I was grateful for being barefoot on the grass for the first time in ages, having the sun on my face while while I was outside. And it's sometimes only when you really see how many hardships there are from other people like trying to get work all hours of the day just to get some Nike air air trainers uh, that you really appreciate how much we do have the fact that anyone who's listening to this is actually listening to this for sure I think it's interesting that I spoke to my my dad about this obviously for those that have listened to other episodes will know that he's got he's got terminal cancer right which is difficult and you end up grateful then for any moment you can get or conversation you can have. And suddenly that they're, they're a lot more apparent than they would have been if he'd not been sick. If he wasn't unwell, I wouldn't be taking mm. those moments as uh, I wouldn't be so grateful for the moments that I've now got. Right. Which is, yeah. which is a way of re- reframing and understanding that when something's potentially going to be taken away from you, you suddenly appreciate it that little bit more. Yeah. But interestingly, it's like when you, when you're well, like you and I hopefully are as far as we're aware, we have lots of goals, expectations, wishes, and dreams but when you're ill. You've only got one. Yeah, and, that, and that's when it gets crystallized. You know, I said to my dad, like the only thing you know you really uh, you want for yourself, and of course he wants things for others, he wants his family to be healthy. But I think for him, his personal thing, he wants to be he wants to be well. He wants to be mm. well. That's what, if, if you're unwell, that's, that's the one thing you want. All the other wishes become immaterial because yeah. innately we want to survive and live and, and move forward. But if you and I are living well, all we want to do, we, we have all these goals and this and the <laughs> other. It's just it does bring it home a little bit. This is the reason why actually I do what I do. And I say to people, and I've been saying this since I started with the whole leadership beat model and the health and wellness is that I recognize really early on, especially when I started contracting that it doesn't matter if you've got the best strategies or goal setting techniques or anything in the world. Because if you're not well, if you're not healthy, if you're not energized, which everything I talk about is energy and you just be reading about Simon on and his energy stuff. If you don't have the energy, the vitality to get up and do those things, and you haven't got the health, then what what difference does it make if you know all the goal setting strategies in the world yeah, and the sure. strategies in the world? And health is our greatest wealth. Again, cliche, but not, they say knowledge is power, but really it's potential power. And and actually, the difference is not really to have the knowledge; it's to have the wisdom, and which is to know what to do with the knowledge that you've got in the first place. And yeah, nice. I just say to people, knowing what to do and doing what you know are two different things. And if you if you know what to do but you don't do it, then you probably don't really know it. Yeah, more for you. So but I'm anyway, conscious of that of time. Yeah. Of another day, if we ever if we ever open up a conversation on entrepreneurialism, I will be happy to talk about the fact that I'm definitely an entrepreneur who has failed. Uh, 2012, um, in particular. So we can talk about that another time. So, uh, yeah. but, and interesting, I did get my investment for my business through an investor. So I've been through that experience as well. Okay. We'll yeah, that, 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 I think that'd be uh, useful useful for both me and our listeners to hear about. And I think learning about specific failures is is not talked about enough because sometimes we 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 latch onto the success which is fine but actually the failures are the thing that help you build to that success and that's useful for people to hear as well well i'll, I'll tell you what a good way to finish might be thanks to uh to emma who sent me emma win who sent me the um man search for meaning book but i did, did write down a quote from nietzsche that he actually it's not his not frankel's every time he writes the book but he, he quotes him in there but it's relevant and he says he who has a why to live by can bear with almost any how mm-hmm. well that's yeah, pretty pa- hard to write that down. I've got pretty powerful stuff. So yeah, kind of links to what we've been talking about in terms of failure and and, and yeah, your purpose. purpose. What's, the, what's the reason you're doing the thing you're doing, and that's going to get you through. And you can yeah. you can you can suffer through anything if you've got a strong sure. enough why. 
Well, look, last thing I want to mention before we go, actually, just remind the listeners, because we're getting loads in and we haven't asked for them, but we actually encourage you to send us more. So if you've got questions, if you want us to, uh, any feedback, um, anything you can do to help us improve the show, or if you just want to make a comment, or more, most importantly for us and the reasons our why and our purpose for doing it is hopefully to have an impact on just one person. Ideally, each episode can take something away, utilize it, implement it, change the way they're thinking, change their feelings, whatever it might be. If that's happened for you, please let us know. Uh, catch us on WhatsApp, drop us an email. I'll put details are in the show notes um, and then for us in return we would love it if you could just share the episode with one person colleague friend relation anyone any episode if you think it might help them please do share the show and um, we can obviously continue to build our community um while we go about recording these episodes yeah I, we would really appreciate that just pick an episode that really resonates with you that you feel like you've got a friend that that needs to hear it and send it their way super harry Always a pleasure. In two weeks, it's, uh, it's good to catch up. Sorry, well, hopefully next time I'll have a little bit more, uh, less jet lag, a little bit more energy to bring to the show. Well, it'll be another seven days, so you should have got, got back into it by then. I'm feeling energised. I think you brought the energy. You, you've given me some energy from the show, so I appreciate you. Thank you for yeah. that. All right. Well, take Bye-bye. care. We'll see you next time. Take care, buddy. Cheers. Thank you for tuning in to the Mindful Past podcast with Nick Day and Harry Kalimnios. We hope you found our discussion insightful and gained valuable takeaways to support you on your journey. Please, please, please do leave us a review on your preferred podcast platform and share an episode that's resonated with you with a friend or a family member who you think may also find it valuable. Don't forget to subscribe to our podcast to ensure you never miss a future episode. In the meantime, we'll continue exploring mindful path topics to provide you with more insights and ideas to support your personal growth. For now, thank you for your support and we look forward to bringing you the next episode of the Mindful Path podcast real soon.